0: Welcome everybody to another episode of poems for people who hate poetry. And today I'm continuing a little series where I'm trying to find some good poems for people in sales and uh, you know business owners who are looking for a little bit of extra fuel. And if you have ever read the uh, book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, you'll notice that he includes several poems in his work, and you may wonder why he does that. Well, we're going to kind of explore that a bit. And the most important thing that I want you to get out of this is the quick amount of fuel that you can get as you know a salesperson. I've been in sales most of my life, so I understand you know what it's like to go through the ups and downs, and downs and ups, and turbulence, and everything of you know uh, being in sales and owning a business. And sometimes you need a kind of an overview and you know, a, a booster shot of, um, you know, a, a reminder of why you're doing this. And poetry is a really good place to go for that. Literature is a better place. And, like, overall, poetry is a form of literature, of course. But anyway, my point is, read a little bit of literature. There's a reason why Napoleon Hill put that into his books. And, in fact, he has a whole list of poems that he really enjoys or enjoyed, I should say. We're going to talk about the poem A Psalm of Life by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Now, this is um, I, I don't think this is one particularly chosen by Napoleon Hill, although it might have been. I I looking, I forgot, like he has a long list of poems. I think I know he likes Longfellow, and I'm not sure about this particular one. But anyway, the this one is relevant, I think, to what he's doing and to what he's interested in. And I, I wanted to kind of explore this with you. I think you might enjoy it. And one of the things to set this up and to kind of help you see uh, the power of poetry and how to th- it helps you think about the world a little bit differently. And if you're joining us, go ahead. You can ask a question if you want to. Um, this is the the poem we'll be reading in a second. I popped it up on screen. But I wanted to, to scroll across the screen a an actual psalm from the book of Psalms. You know, in, in the Uh, In the Christian uh, religion, not because that's what this poem is about. This poem is not a Christian religious poem, but it is in response to something specific. And um, this is written in the late 19th century, 1800s. And the prelude to this, you know, it's a psalm of life by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And the little italics thing here is what the heart of the young man said to the psalmist. And so there's something about this, there's something about the idea of. Um, You know, what is this person's, uh, hide this for a second, what what this person's view of the world is and what your view of the world is and and what are you praying to or or having psalms to? So a psalm, by the way, P-S-A-L-M, in general means a song of praise. And, you know, it comes from this word where they would pluck harps and, you know, there's there's some sound that it would make and they came up with this, you know, word. I don't remember the exact, everything about the etymology, but the point is that it is a song of praise or admiration or awe. And so the book of Psalms is basically a whole bunch of praise songs to the Lord Jesus in the Christian, you know, religion. And then, you know, if you have it in uh, Hebrew or in, in the Judeo-Christian, it's going to be toward their God and you know, Islam, their God. So, the, the, But the point is that it's a, a song of praise to your God, whatever, you know, God that it is. And so a a psalm of life is going to be shifting that view a little bit. And it's going to be focused on, you know, life, obviously. And, and so the question, one of the questions, or why I bring up the Think and Grow Rich, one of the big questions is that, that Napoleon Hill kind of touches on, but it's not as pre- prevalent, is before you believe certain things about your life and about what success is, what is it, you know, is being rich all there is in life? Is that the most important thing to you is getting a million dollars, a billion dollars, even though your kids hate you, your wife cheats on you, and everyone thinks you're a slanderer and a fool and a thief and everything. I mean, there's probably more to life than that, I would imagine. You know, could you live a great life as a um, you know, just middling forty thousand dollars a year, but you're like this pillar of the community that everybody goes to. Um, so so anyway, the point is that there's a there's a lot of different aspects of life, and this poem is a very particular you know view of it that I think can help you think about your life a little bit differently. So I'm going to read the poem, and I, I want to keep this whole thing a little shorter, uh, but I'm going to read the poem, and then we'll kind of go through it uh, together, what I call a converse with verse. Okay. A Psalm of Life by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. What the heart of the young man said to the psalmist, tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream. For the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way, but to act that each tomorrow finds us farther than today. Art is long and time is fleeting. What is this? There is a weird box on my screen. I do not know what it is. Uh, okay. That's weird. We will continue. Okay. <laughs> Art is long and time is fleeting. Ignore this box. I don't know what's going on. My computer's blowing up. Art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave in the world's broad field of battle in the bivouac of life be not like dumb driven cattle be a hero in the strife trust no future however pleasant let the dead past bury its dead act act in the living present heart within and god or head lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints in the sands of time, footprints that perhaps another, sailing over life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother, seeing, shall take heart again. Let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing, Learn to labor and to wait. Okay, so, you know, th- I like I said, I always recommend that you listen to the poem or you, you read it to yourself once. It's called in literary reading, a fast reading, and then you go and do a, uh, a a slow reading or what I call converse with the verse. So one, it's all, you know, a great work of art, What well, and I say this a lot, but a great work of art, whether it's a painting, a movie, if a movie is actually worthwhile, which most of them are not. I just saw The Avengers. And sorry, there's some guys doing some gardening work outside. But I just saw The Avengers, which is not a great work of art. It's a you know crazy action flick where a lot of crap happens you know, randomly. And, um, you know, but most movies are pretty random. They're, they're, they have some kind of what they call in Hollywood a through line, which kind of Organizes the elements of the piece a little bit together, but usually not so in detail where every little word, every line means something critical. Everything is meticulously carefully chosen to illuminate this, you know, to to lead up to something that the artist is trying to get you to understand. But in poetry especially, especially a great poem like this, which I don't think is a very deep poem, but it's a great poem for a variety of reasons. And part of it is that everything is important. You know, a psalm of life in this, what the heart of the young man set with the heart. This is what the person wants to say to the psalmist. And one of these psalms that I read, and if, um, you know, if you look at psalms like 16, 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The heaven, 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Uh, 24. I'm just reading these at random. May he give you the desire of your hearts and make all your plans succeed. And a lot of these sound decent, but there's something when you're hearing this from a psalmist, and this is just, you know, and then of course a psalmist at a, at a church would elaborate on this. And so when you hear this from a psalmist over and over and over again, you know, one of the things that you're going to, that this person is feeling, this is the expression of what this person is feeling, is this idea of there is this Lord in the in the heavens that you have no actual interaction with except through this, you know, vicar on earth or through the words of the people around you. But essentially, you're not, you don't know that this is true. You're just kind of, in this psalmist is kind of, a, or the the author of this poem, A Psalm of Life, he's experiencing this as, I you know, why can't it be me? Why can't it be just all within me? And why can't we have psalms that dedicate ourselves to acting on our own principle, on acting in our own ways and doing things our own ways? And when you talk about like think and grow rich, you know, he, Napoleon Hill was kind of mixed between this type of uh, viewpoint where he was, you know, believed in this kind of supernatural higher power. But at the same time, he also, rightly believed in the power of the individual to move themselves forward and you know improve their own lives. And, and you know, if you just think and you work hard enough, you can achieve anything, um, which is an interesting view of the world. But anyway, um so real quick, you know, just to kind of go through this and think about what's happening. A psalm of life, tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream. So this is not as prevalent since the um, quote unquote great awakenings in the uh, early American Christian view, you know, of how they, they, they changed their, their tone a little bit, but it used to be, and it's still a little bit is, but not as much, I think, uh, depending on what church you go to, but it used to be very prevalent that the main thing you would hear at church is how, you know, the, the, afterlife is the goal of everything, that getting into heaven is what you're supposed to be focusing your life on, that we're all going to die. And this life is just this empty dream until, you know, and that we have to dedicate ourselves to getting to this higher uh, plane of existence. And this is still something that is somewhat believed by a lot of people that, you know, you can achieve great success, you can have happiness. But at the end of the day, the real aim in life is is getting yourself into this afterlife. And, you know, so different religions and different churches are going, and different viewpoints are going to have different answers to the question, well, can you have a good life where you're happy, you're successful, you have a beautiful, you know, spouse, you have great kids, and you make a lot of money and you're a little bit um, selfish and things of that nature, and get into heaven. Are both of those? And everyone's going to have a little bit of a different answer to that question. Um, Okay, so that's what this first line is. For the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. So, you know, I think he's trying to say something like, hey, it's this is not what it seems that we have to go into this afterlife. There could be something here on earth that we can achieve. And here's what he's going to say, life. Now, remember, this is life as opposed to mournful numbers, right? The, the numbers of... For instance, like the, the arithmetic of doing the right thing to get into heaven. So life is real, life is earnest. This here on earth, right now, this is real. That afterwards, I don't know, maybe it's real, maybe it's not. But what we know for sure is right here, me touching you and saying hello to you and shaking your hand or or finding a you know a person out in the world or doing a business deal or, or making, you know, a, a business partnership or hiring employees, that is real. Everything else about how you're supposed to act according to the Psalms and so on and so forth may be real, maybe not. You know, like, should you act in a certain way to get into heaven? Like, I don't know. But I do know that this right here is real. And the grave should not be its goal. The grave is not its goal. That's not the goal of life. The goal of life is not to get to the grave as best as you can so that you can get into heaven. The goal is this life. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul, and so he's he's kind of shaping a little bit the author here of what he means by soul. He's he's kind of uh, differentiating soul from what you may normally think of it as like this immortal soul. Okay, so the next line is not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way so way meaning like method path the way you're supposed to you know like in in a religion there is the way some religions have like the five pathways or whatever it is but that the idea is that there's ends and there's means to get there and he's saying not enjoyment but also not sorrow not suffering not tragedy not pain neither of those is our destined end or means our destined end or means or what we should be doing is to act that each tomorrow finds us farther than today. So this is a very, you know, have a definite purpose type of mentality where your goal should be what, you know, your goal for the future to be better than you are today. That is one of the things that uh, I think this poem is talking about. And, you know, there's a story in here about Edison and the bomb who thought his way into um, Edison's work. And I don't the man who thought his way into partnership with Thomas A. Edison. I don't remember the guy's name, if I can find it real quick, Barnes something. But the idea was that he started off as this complete bum. He had no money, had nothing. And he believed that if he just worked hard enough, he could get into partnership, like not just work for uh, Edison, which was really easy for him. Once he found his way to, to Orange, uh, New Jersey, <clears throat> excuse me, Barnes was able to get into work for him, but for Edison, but on a very, very entry-level job that he would have given to any 18-year-old. But through hard work, Barnes was able to find a way to get into, to, to have a better life in the future and partner, you know, look for opportunities to partner with Edison because that was his, as Napoleon Hill put it, his burning desire and his definite uh, purpose. His definite purpose was not to work for Edison, but to work as his partner. And he never, Barnes never gave that up. And so, you know, it's, I think it's a really good story. And there's a lot of cool stories in Think and Grow Rich. And that, I think, is what this is saying, is that, you know, Barnes suffered. He had sorrow in that time period while he was working for, for trying to work his way up. There, and but that nor enjoyment itself, pure pleasure, neither of those was his destined to end way his destined to end our way was that each tomorrow found him better than the you know today art is long, time is fleeting now art by the way isn't necessarily just like a painting art is also just in general like the light bulb is an art or a sale is an artwork if you're a salesperson or you're a business owner that's your art is it's basically a any work produced by human creative skill and imagination. A business partnership, if you find this part, this person that you, you know, in your field that you like or in a related field, and you say, you know what, I think we, if we went together, we could do even more. That partnership and the business that you develop, that is art. A lot of people don't like to look at it, but it like that, but it is, it's art. Art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave. Still, like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. Excuse me. And our hearts, though stout, was thick and strong and brave. So we have, you know, when we're young, especially, we have these strong hearts. But what um, uh, Longfellow is pointing out here, like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. So you can have this. Um creative skill is business that is long lasting. But remember, time where your time on earth is fleeting. So even though he's he's not denying in this poem, Life is real, life is earnest, that we're gonna live forever. That or he's not saying that. He's just saying we should, we, we are here. There's something we should be striving for that uh act that each tomorrow finds us farther than today. And keep in mind. That your stout heart is going to give out and you will die. Funeral uh, And our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums, still that, you know, still like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. One of the things in reading poetry is try to pay attention to the usage of commas and, and other, um, you know, grammatical structures because they're doing this on purpose to pause you and our hearts though stout and brave still like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave so he's trying to stress certain things um in the world's broad field of battle so the, the world that we're living in is a battlefield in the bivouac of life not a bivouac if you don't know which I had to look this up, so it's okay. But a, a bivouac is basically a temporary shelter. You know, it's used a lot in military. It may not even have a roof. You just put it up if you're in like a wartime, and you put up this shelter to, um, <clears throat> to to kind of just you know survive for a couple of days before you move on to the next area. So in the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, so he's calling life a, a temporary shield. So I think it's important to note that. Longfellow is not claiming there is no such thing as an afterlife. That's not what he's saying. <clears throat> he's saying that this life is a bivouac or a temporary thing uh, that we're going to have. And, but he's saying, while you're here, though, be not like dumb driven cattle. Be a hero in the strife. Now, remember the context. That's really important when reading a poem is the overall po- po- uh, poetry and the meaning and what's going on. And also, like the con- by the context, I don't mean the historical context. I mean the context of the poem. So he put this, Longfellow put this for a reason. What the heart of the young man said to the psalmist. Be not like dumb driven cattle. Be a hero. This is what his heart is saying. And he's basically saying it to himself. Remember, a psalm of life is a praise to something, to life in this case. Be a, a psalm is a, a praise. Be not like dumb driven cattle. (laughs) That's great alliteration. Be not like dumb driven cattle. So don't be a dumb follower of the, the, the crowd just because that's what people are doing. You should be a hero. You should fight to be an individual hero. Trust no future, however pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act, act in the living present, heart within and God overhead. Again, he's talking about you know, some kind of God. He doesn't specifically say Christian, but you could believe Christian. That's fine. Obviously, I think he probably does. But God overhead. But your goal is to act in the living present. That's the most important thing. And don't trust any future just because it sounds pleasant. Remember, this comes after the line, dumb driven cattle. Don't be that. Just because someone says, Oh, you're going to end up, you know, this is like what the communists did. They they promised everybody that, hey, they used to be famous for these five-year plans. In five years, everything's going to be amazing. We're going to live in this utopia. We just have to slaughter a couple million people first. But once we're done with that, hunky-dory. Be not like dumb, driven cattle. Be a hero in the strife. So be an individualist. Think for yourself, and maybe you'll grow rich, <laughs> uh, at least according to Napoleon Hill. Uh, all right. Lives of great men this is one of the famous lines here. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime. Sublime, by the may, by the way, means basically such excellence or beauty as to inspire great admiration. So there's a reason why so many people in the self-development world, self-help world, use Thomas Satterson as an example. And today, like Steve Johns or Ed Catmull or Elon Musk. These are, are people who we think of as worthy of emulation and they're sublime, although we don't use that word as much as we used to uh, in history. But, you know, uh, make our lives sublime like these guys so we can emulate the Edisons and departing this earth leave behind us footprints on the sand of time. Footprints, like Edison, that perhaps another, like Elon Musk, who's emulating Edison, or Steve Jobs explicitly wanted to be like an Edison to some degree. That's one thing he really admired. Footprints that perhaps another, sailing o'er life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother, seeing shall take heart again. So as you live your life in this manner, as as a psalm of life is indicating, other people will see that, especially even after you die, if you leave footprints on the he- sands of time and you really strive to be a hero and not just follow the crowd of what everyone around you is doing, a forlorn, then, you know, a forlorn shipwrecked brother seeing shall take heart again. And I think that's really true. Like as you go through life, people are going to be at downs in their life. They may be depressed and lost their job and maybe they just found out they're sick and they have a difficulty in, you know, paying their bills or they just, you know, whatever it is, their, their wife left them, or their husband left them, or or whatever, and they're at this pit, or maybe they still know what to do with their life, right? And you're at this top. Well, th- by by being the best you can, and by really f- fighting so that tomorrow's better than today, you show them the a path that they can can lead. Just like when you're at a bottom, or even if you're here and you want to be even higher, you can look at someone who's um, higher. And Steve Jobs did that, for instance, when he got fired from his own the company he found it he was fired from Apple and in his little hiatus when he was gone and he started a company called next he actually met and tried to get mentorship from some of the greatest business owners like of IBM and the, these grand individuals so that he could learn from them so even Steve Jobs learned from from other men let us then be up and doing. With a heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing, learn to labor and to wait, labor and wait. So anyway, I hope um, hope you kind of enjoyed that little reading and quick discussion. I think it's a great poem. You know, you can find it just a Psalm of Life, print it out, put it on your you know on your wall if you like it. Um, you can order a print of it. Like I'm sure there's prints all over the place of it in an artwork. It's a great little thing to check out and remind yourself to have praise of life, not just the afterlife. And not, you know, you shouldn't and you should make this explicit. You shouldn't just leave it as like this, oh yeah, of course, Kirk. I, I have a psalm for life. No, it's not enough. You need to constantly be focused and see it and be able to defend it to yourself and to the people around you why you're fighting every single day because I promise, even if you're at a a high right now, eventually you're going to hit some lows. Life's going to hit you in the face really hard. Something bad's going to happen and you've got to have the the energy and the the skill and the foresight and the um, uh, fortitude to keep moving on. So thank you. And I'll see you next time for poems for people who hate poetry.